Well, hello, welcome back to Sermon Notes. Uh, this is Garland, and I've got Clark in here with me today. Garland, um, how are you today? I'm good. I'm real good. I'm in a great mood today. Um, we are continuing the Daniel Esther series. We're almost finished. We've got two weeks left. Um, it, it's been an interesting study. We've gone and covered a lot of ground. Uh, I know part of me is going, man, uh, I wish we had spent like six months in Daniel. Another part of me is going, what are we doing reading this stuff? Um, uh, Last week was really fun, at least for me. Um, So as we continue this series, we're going to go backwards. We did last week, we were in chapters 10, 11, and 12. We sorted at the end of the book. This week, we're going backwards in chapter, back to chapter nine. The last two sermons, our last two weeks here will be all in chapter nine. So um, we said last week, and I'll I'll remind us, there was a reason for that. It wasn't just an accident. We didn't just make a mistake. Uh, we we had the intention of ending our series on Daniel. Uh, we were we were ending the series looking forward to Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. And so, right. in light of that, uh, it was just we had the idea to end with chapter nine, and it's going to end chapter nine. We'll see in a week. Ends with this expectation of a Messiah who will come and be cut off, but when he comes, he will put it into sin, and he will seal up vision and prophecy, and he will anoint the holy place, and all these amazing things when the Messiah comes, and we thought, what better way to end the series and look forward to to Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Easter than uh, that promise in Daniel 9. So we are out of order on purpose. That's okay. Type A's out there. You know, it's okay. It'll all work out. Well, it's not unlike Daniel itself. Yeah, Daniel's not told chronologically. You have one, then you have two, kind Mm -hmm. of with seven and eight. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and then five and six, and then seven and eight. If you were going to map out the chronological yeah. timeline, and so it's not inconsistent with that. Yeah, and um, narratives are woven through it, and so um, the type A's yeah. out there though. This has been painful. How we've, oh, yeah. how we've uh, steered you through this thing, but uh, it, for those for that for that few out there, it's almost over. Then we're going to work through First Peter in the summer, just front to back. So get excited. Well, at least today, as we unpack this passage, we get to confess lots of sin, Garland. That's exciting. So everybody's favorite thing to do. Yeah, everybody's excited about that. And so um, let, let me uh, just set it up a little bit um, from a timeline standpoint. Uh, when this prayer is happening as Daniel scrolls through, maybe literally, um, Jeremiah. Um, He's likely uh, made his way to what we would call chapter 29, and he's reflecting on this um, this 70-year window that, I mean, he's probably well into his 80s now, and that window of exile um, that they were taken um, into Babylonian exile is now nearing an end, if you will. And so... Um, he's realizing um, the offenses of he and his people and how they ended up here. And as dark as it is, um, he's, on behalf of them, as a mediator, if you will, um, he's making a plea for God to bring them back. Yeah. And so um, that's, that's a lot of what we have going on here. Um, Timing-wise, this is uh, the first part of uh, this prayer in Daniel 9 is probably about the same time that, that Daniel 6 also happened as well uh, to kind of throw kinks into your timeline there. And so um, he's in the first uh, year of the reign of, of King Darius here, and um, he's reflecting on these scrolls of Jeremiah, and then he begins to pray. And so I think what I'd like us to lean into, Garland, a little bit, we, a little bit of history 
Um, why is God so um, committed to their discipline as a people, um, as he's his people? And, you know, if you're taking notes out there, listening to this, um, if you have your Daniel book out, just note um, Deuteronomy 28 to 30, um, 2 Kings, I think it's 24, Garland, um, where the sins of Manasseh, Oh yeah, are made known and documented. It's <clears throat> a fun chapter. Yes, yeah, and then the Jeremiah twenty nine. All the second half of Second Kings is a delight so, to read. Yeah, there's a reason that the weight of what he's about to confess um, has weight to it, and if you read some of those, you can sense and feel why a just, a holy, a righteous, a compassionate, loving God would want to discipline His people. And so some really dark things that happen. And so what he's about to confess, he has verbiage for. He doesn't go into detail and listing those things, but he calls these sins different phrases throughout here. And so um, so anyway, he gives us some language for confession, I guess is how I'd like to say it. And uh, what you have here is you've got uh, four parts of his prayer. There's a recognition of a great and awesome God. There's a confession of sin. There's an acknowledgement of consequence. And then there's this, basically, he's pleading with God, requesting, God, bring us back. Forgive us um, for we've sinned. And so that's kind of the, the way this, this um, first part of the chapter is set up. This, this gets us um, through um, verse 19 or so, and then Michael will take it from 20 to 27. Okay. So, a little bit of background. So it might be worth looking at or just even thinking about just for a moment. And go here with me, uh, Sermon Notes listener out there. Um, it can seem a little bit excessive. You know, Yahweh's, he can be pretty harsh on the people of Israel. And uh, I think sometimes when we read the passages you're talking about or Daniel's confession here, uh, it can seem really dark. And and it, and it does. There's no way around it. Um, one of the reasons why um, Yahweh, the, the covenant God of Israel, the creator God of the Bible, is so concerned with Israel's righteousness, their holiness, them executing justice and goodness in the land is precisely because Israel is the means by which Yahweh wants to bless the nations. He has a plan to use humans to bless the rest of the world. We see that all the way back in the first pages of the Bible in Genesis. And through the family of Abraham in a world full of corruption and evil and brokenness, he chooses one family, the family of Abraham. He then constitutes with them in Exodus 19 saying, you will be a kingdom, a nation mm -hmm. of priests. What's a priest? It's one who mediates between a deity and the people. And you'll be a set-apart nation. And their point is, you will be a light to the nations. How is Yahweh going to bless the world? Well, he wants to do it through humans. Now, I may not like that plan. I may think you tethered this whole thing to humans, um, but that's the plan of Yahweh. Yeah, It's what he wants to do. And so when his, we might say, when his instrument of blessing, the people of Israel, when they, instead of being a light to the nations, become like the nations and corrupted yeah, well and said. filled with injustice, that's, it's not just that, oh, it's a people in a nation that's done some bad things, and I guess God gets mad at that kind of stuff. Okay, fine. But it's way more profound than that. Like, this is the instrument of bringing, bringing blessing to the world. And so, uh, the, we might say this starkly, the nations can't get blessed in the Old Testament imagination if Israel isn't walking in covenant loyalty to Yahweh. Um, and, and you find yourself in, in it, one of the more darker moments, Manasseh has set up... Um, these instruments of worship to pagan gods inside the temple courts mm -hmm. and even sacrificing his own yeah. son. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's completely adopted the pagan mm-hmm. practices of mm-hmm. idol worship. Now, what's what's especially instructive, giving that narrative, that's the story of our Old Testament, we might say, and Daniel's sitting in the midst of that story as a Jew, praying on behalf of his people, who is Yahweh's instrument. What's What becomes really interesting and instructive when we think about Jesus will come and as a person, this is how committed God is to that plan, Jesus will come as a person and as an Israelite to finally be to finally bring about the blessing that he's always been trying to bring about to the world. And then when I think about how is that going out in the world, what's the light of the world now? It's this Jew-Gentile thing called the church. Together, yeah. When we read Daniel 9 in a minute, you give us your four points uh, that we're about to look at. <laughs> I don't, you know, we just might need to read it with some alertness. We're not ancient Israel, obviously, um, but God's instruments to bless the world. It was Israel in the Old Testament. The way he's doing that right now is through this thing called the church. Yeah. We might need to listen up. So give us, what yeah. were those four, those four, you gave us an outline. What were yeah. those four things? Again, he begins by doing what? Yeah, he, there's, there's a recognition, there's a praise of who God is. Um, there's a confession specifically of sin. There's a recognition of consequence, and then there's a request, which I, I think pleading may be the better the, the better word mm-hmm. um, as he pleads with God to return them and to forgive them of their sin. And so, as you work through those, this is what was interesting. I this just hit me the other day. I had one of those moments where you sit back in your chair when you're just reading the text. And you go, wow, I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. And it was this idea of the different phrases and words that are used even for God by Daniel in this prayer. So he at least uses Yahweh most uh, normally in this text. Yeah, all caps, Lord. All caps, Yahweh, Lord. Yep. But you also see Lord used, uh, which would be probably more Adonai. Yeah, like a, like a master a, king, a master something king. like that. Yep. And so there's this covenant-keeping, loving, faithful God to his promises that he recognizes that he's praying. But he also, there's this sovereign king who rules and is over all. But then there's this our God phrase that's used. He's collective or on behalf of the people with them in this as one who's actually not guilty like many of them are. And then there's this my God. And there was, so there's four different ways that he addresses God in this prayer. And I was thinking, you know, I, I kind of like my prayer life mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. A lot of time I come to God, um, I want the covenant-keeping, compassionate, loving, promise-keeping God. Um, Other times I want the, God, I know you're in control. I need you to be in control right now. I don't know what else to do here, yeah. And then there's times where it's like as a collective church, there, there is this sense of our God, like we're in this together. And then there's also, I have moments where it's, it's like, my God, we have this relationship and I'm crying out to you right now. Mm-hmm. And in these 19 verses, Daniel captures all four of those ways mm-hmm. to address God. And so that was helpful for even in my own prayer life um, and just the way I see and come to God. Um, what I would note, I think, as we work through this, first there's this recognition of who God is, and there's all kinds of words that are used to describe his character. And so that forces Daniel, and we knew he was a humble man to begin with, but once you recognize who God is in your prayer, you only have one place to be, and it's not him. Mm-hmm. And it's a humble state. And he's postured himself. Um, in fact, it says um, he's fasting, so he's given up comfort, if you will, or he's sacrificing. There's this sackcloth that he's wearing, which is an uncomfortable garment, if you will, here. And, 
in this ash, and there's just a sense of brokenness um, on behalf of the people. It, it might be worth yeah. even mentioning again, uh, sackcloth and ashes. Ashes is what is uh, – even traditionally now used uh, in some traditions for Ash Wednesday. And they're picking up that language from passages like this. It's a way to publicly display in the Hebrew world, a way to publicly display mourning Mm -hmm. by wearing sackcloth and placing ashes uh, on your body. And so um, we actually are doing this, this this service is still in the middle of our Lent series. And so it's appropriate actually. Yeah. Yeah. And so in, and on good Friday here um, in a few weeks, We'll ask people to come up to the church and to reflect on uh, what happened on the cross. And so um, as we consider Palm Sunday, as we consider Good Friday, as we consider this passage in in chapter 9, I know the spring is not when we all want to talk about confessing sin. <laughs> as the weather turns. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think there's this, there's a sweet aroma of confession I, that I sense happening in some of our greater faith community. And people are owning their sin, and they recognize Jesus as the solution, and that's a good thing, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, and then here, you know, Daniel also acknowledges the consequence, and he kind of owns it. And basically, he's just recognizing what is true of the curses that are found in Deuteronomy twenty-eight to thirty. He he recognizes the anger of God kindled against the the kings who did evil continually in the eyes of God, and then he recognizes um, this exile that they find themselves in that was prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah in all through Jeremiah, but in Jeremiah twenty nine, and so there's he's recognizing this is where we find ourselves, Lord. Um, we had this coming, mm-hmm. if you will, and. Um, and then probably my, um, just as I was reflecting, I think what captures the heart of um, the close of the prayer for me, he says, we are not presenting our petitions or supplications before you, God, on account of any merits of our own. <laughs> that sounds like such a New Testament verse right there, <laughs> it doesn't does. it? Yeah. It's Ephesians 2. Yeah, yeah. There's this, there's this empty, bankrupt place we find ourselves in, where not only are we guilty, but we have nothing from a motive perspective mm-hmm. either to present to God as worthy mm-hmm. of him. But he's banking on thy great compassion is what the NAS says. And I'm thinking, wow, from a New Testament perspective, that's kind of where we all find ourselves, mm-hmm. at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. And so that's um, kind of big picture, Um kind of where we're going here. I do think it's instructive that Daniel, um, he uses the word we and our and us. Um, it's not quite a type of Christ, but he, all through this um, letter um, or through through this account, he's, um, he's definitely not been one who's guilty of a lot of things. Daniel seems like he's, he's in the right. right. Yeah, most of the and time. so, yeah. but for whatever reason, he's okay identify him, identifying himself as the people of God before God in a mediator type role. And I think there is something that points to Christ there. And he's not the guilty one, but he's confessing sin and becoming like them in his confession. And it takes great humility to do that. And so, it's as if Daniel. We we know he's he's not sinless that he he is guilty of sin, um, but his heart is so captured by the holiness of God 
that he sees himself so much as one of his countrymen who have done these things and that he is as Manasseh is um, as he considers the, the evil kings that have come before him. And so, um, yeah, it's a little bit about what's going on here. And um, we're going to take some time in the service, if you're listening to this before. Um, towards the end, we're going to take some time and get very specific and just have a time of reflection and confession of sin and um, be able to sit in that space for a little bit and to lean into a good and a gracious, compassionate God. Yeah, I was going to make a joke, like, yeah. oh, that'll be a delight. Uh, yeah. That'll be fun. And then I, then I actually thought, you know, at, on, on our Ash Wednesday service a few weeks back, we did some extended confession time, and it was one of, for me personally, one of the most, um, maybe one of the most sweet uh, worship experiences I've had in a while because we just sat in confession for about 30 minutes and we didn't get out of it. Um, it actually made the good news of the assurance, the last half of that service, the last 30 minutes, it just was, uh, it fell fresh on me just in yeah. thinking about it. And we hope that's what happens this week as well. Um, and Garland, I, w- I would note, um, there's not a direct line, sin to sin from Old Testament Israel to the New Testament church in terms of certain specifics. But I do think this idea of idolatry, um, which is what they're being judged for here and being punished and disciplined for, um, I do think we have to think through what does idolatry look like in our time and day and inside the church. Um, that's the primary sin they were guilty of was worshiping pagan and false gods and bringing that worship into God's holy place. Right. And so we've got to figure out, okay, what are those idols of our culture? Have we violated um, God's law in that sense? And then, you know, Israel was also in there being a light to the nations. They were also supposed to show justice and compassion to the widow, the orphan, the poor, the marginalized. And in moments of wealth, they leaned into comfort and not justice. Mm -hmm. And so God holds them accountable here as well. And so I'm starting to think, huh, interesting. Yeah, those are the two great evils, the two great sins that the prophets lambast Israel for over and over and over again. Idolatry and injustice. So, yeah. so just sit on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just, yeah, just, so just sit us, on that for a little be bit. Be thinking about some of those things in your own personal life, in the life of our church, the life of our nation, and uh, what are some sins that we need to confess and just own and then run to this great compassionate God on no merit of our own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you're doing this in small group out there or maybe even just in a discipleship group, let me let me commend an idea to you for a small group. Um, I've always had this. uh, I've done this for years and it's always been a it's been a pretty rewarding experience in groups that I've led. Um, And the way that it would go, I've actually used this passage uh, to springboard. It is, you know, uh, help your group see the passage and maybe make sense of what confession looks like than what I've done. And just feel free to to adapt this, make it work, change it, make it better. If you make it better, let me know uh, how you made it better. But I'll give everybody a piece of paper to pen. And uh, so let's say we've got, you know, you know, 12 people in our group, let's say, and I'll just, I'll, I'll have just little categories, um, purity, uh, work ethic, um, sins of know, the mouth, sin, sins of the mouth. Yeah. Idolatry. Um, and I'll just kind of give some general categories, some more specific than others, depending on whether a married group or, you know, single group or college group, whatever, there might be different categories. Um, you know, communication conflict with your spouse might be one, um, anger, it depends on the group. And I'll just say, everybody, we're going to take 15 minutes 
and uh, I want you to write A, B, C, D, or F, and I call it a life GPA. <laughs> and then we come back, and guys go to one room, or maybe you know half the guys in one room, the other half in the other room, and then the girls in one. If you have a community group, whatever this looks like, and all I do is just go, um, just say the category and how you, what letter you gave, and then explain it. And mm-hmm. I have actually found, especially for men that have a hard time sometimes, you know, opening up because they had to write it and they gave a letter. Um, I've actually seen guys start to be honest. And mm. um, I was with in a conversation this morning with a guy who uh, was talking about somebody in their group who finally who finally broke and had to start confessing. And there was some deep stuff. Mm. And has since said, I've never felt the freedom that I feel now. I feel wow. like I've been hiding my whole life. And so there is a reason that we do this. Yeah. And uh, that might be a way to guide some of your time through Daniel nine this week, instead of, you know, let's look at the text and observe mm-hmm. it and do maybe let people experience a little bit of time of confession. And uh, you, if it goes well, let me know if it doesn't, then uh, don't tell me that way. I won't ever, uh, I won't ever know it doesn't work. Um, so uh, anything else, Clark, just as we go into this week? No, I just think it's a, it's a great um, descriptive prayer that we can own. And one of the great prayers of the Bible, along with John 17 and um, the Lord's prayer Mm-hmm. In Matthew, and think about Moses's prayer, Hezekiah's prayer, Hezekiah's yep. prayer. This is Daniel's contribution to a great prayer, the prayer of the book. Bible. Yeah, the prayer book. Oh, the, and the Psalms, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that helps. Yeah. Daniel's Daniel's contribution to the great prayer book of the Bible. Uh, that's that's awesome. That's actually a great way to end it. Um, we hope this is helpful. Thanks for listening to Sermon Notes.